Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the beginning of a week. Uh, We are talking about... The Life and Times of One Wolfgang Mozart, and we're talking about Woodstock and the history of Woodstock. And so Ashley's talking about Woodstock. I'm talking about Mozart. Ashley. Yes. How's it going? How are you feeling? I'm alive. A satisfactory answer. Yeah. We also have two special guests this week as our uh, live studio audience, our commentators, our voices in the background. Um, two dedicated <laughs> list- listeners and dedicated sisters, my sister Angie, say hi Angie. Hi. And my sister Sue, say hi Sue. Hi Sue. If you follow me on Twitch like you should be, uh, then you've heard these voices before and possibly even maybe seen their faces uh, from so, last night. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ashley and Sue and Angie, I'll extend the question to you guys too. What do you know about Mozart? I just you know wrote? he's a famous musician. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. Not music. <laughs> he played piano. <laughs> he played piano. All right. So, also, uh, disclaimer before we get into this, I am recovering from being ill, not with anything horrific, but just like a cold. So, if my voice starts to go partway through, I'm going to tap out and Sue's going to take over. But we should <laughs> But we should be okay. So, but if I sound a little rough today, that's why. Bear with me. I'll get better eventually. <laughs> okay, you can't do physical comedy. It won't pick up on the mic. <laughs> Sue just did the like, eh, maybe hand gesture. You gotta use your words. I'm so excited. <laughs> all right, so let's get into the story of Mozart. I've been stalling for far too long. So first of all, this guy has so many names. This was the first thing that I found, and it was the first thing that drove me nuts about researching this. He's known as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. That's what he preferred to call himself in his later years. But he was born as Johann. Chrysostom Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. I don't think his parents gave him enough names. <laughs> no. And he was baptized as Johannes Chrysostomus Wolfgangus Theophilus Mozart. Did his Why? parents, okay, his parents <laughs> named him out of a thesaurus? That's all there is to it. <laughs> I think it's common, and, though, for like that era to have like 50 million names. 
not uncommon, but every single one of them is a mouthful for my stupid English only speaking accent. <laughs> yes, but you're not Aust- like was he Austrian? I think it was Austrian, right? Yeah, it's because there's chocolates. When he was born, it wasn't Austria yet. Okay, yeah, but I'm like I know in Austria you can get like the Mozart balls, like that are amazing chocolates. <laughs> exactly. So he was born in 1756. He's commonly referred to as being Austrian, but like there's a lot of political upheaval. So like yes, technically, but at the time it was the Holy Roman Empire or the what was left of it. So uh, and this is 1756 in Salzburg, and he was born to an upper middle class family. His father, Leopold, was a successful musician at the Salzburg court and a perfectionist. His mother, Maria Pertolt, was born into a middle-class family of local leaders. So both were, like, super ambitious. They had together seven children, but only two survived, which we, as as we've talked... I know, I knew you were going to have that reaction. <laughs> Sue, the, mo- the only mother in this group, is... is no, the yeah. only human mother... Yeah, the only human mother. Two of us have flies, but the only mother of actual humans. It's so sad. This is really common, though. In the stories that we've been talking about, specific people, this they is don't the case to adult where they had multiple, multiple children that don't survive. So yeah. usually, I feel like most commonly we've seen groups of six where only one or two yeah. survived. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I knew when we talked about, like, switching over who was reading it, I knew that's where Sue was going to stop and go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so okay so only two survived wolfgang and his older sister maria anna uh so full disclosure a couple of my sources argued about whether maria anna was a sister or his cousin however the smithsonian has an article about maria anna clarifying that she was a sister so we're going with that uh they have slightly diff- different implications which is why i thought it mattered and why i figured i'd point it out for later in the story so uh, when his father began teaching Maria Anna on the piano at age seven, Wolfgang, then age three, watched and began mimicking her motions that early. Wow. So they right? So their father realized this, like realized what he was doing and began instructing Wolfgang soon after, much earlier than he normally would have started instructing him around like age eight. So Mozart was a bit of a musical prodigy. And by age five, he was not only playing multiple instruments, but also composing music. Isn't that, isn't that kind of like common though with um a lot of like these famous musicians of the time like most of them i think are like child prodigies right that's how they made history for a lot of it i'm not like i don't know much about like other historical composers musicians stuff like that i'll be like completely honest so i can't compare to anyone else but i just thought it was interesting because like as the script goes on i got more and more convinced that mozart was like the historical equivalent of like a child star yeah like you know what i mean where like they're a prodigy at a really young age they get paraded around and doing all these shows they end up doing it until they die and then they end up dying like you know either falling off the wagon or dying young kind of tragically tragically so yeah like beethoven his musical talent was obvious at an early age so yeah i think like a lot of like that time frame Again, which makes sense, because if you're a prodigy, if you're going to make musical history, it's probably, like, some musical skill is going to get noticed when you're young, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There has to be some kind of natural, innate talent in order to get that good. In my opinion. I don't know. I could be dead wrong. I don't know. That popular popular without, like, the internet or anything Mm -hmm. to, like, bolster it. Like, it had to all be word of mouth and people listening to you in their living room. Exactly. So, 
Um, and this is the 1700s. So like you, you're watching it live or you're not hearing it ever. Right. Yeah. Although I so, think, mm-hmm. was that around the time when they started having like the phonograph and stuff like with, I'm thinking that I think that they had like an early version around that time of like a phonograph <laughs> and stuff with like the really rudimentary sketching on cylinders Possibly. The phonograph itself was invented in 1877 by Thomas Edison. I'm not sure about anything earlier. This happens a lot where we get sidetracked Googling stuff to clarify what we're talking about. It's all good. Yeah, 1877 Uh, is when he invented the phonograph with the tin foil. 1857, the original phonograph was invented and patented by Edward Leon Scott. So that's still a good... Nearly 100 years after he was born, at least. Yeah. He did not live very long, as we'll get to. So, I don't know. Uh, But the other way that you could listen to it is if someone locally had a copy of the music that was played and then was able to play it, kind of recreate it. You wouldn't get, like, the whole experience. It'd be, like, you know, old-timey bootleg. bootleg. (laughs) I'm not wrong. It'd be LimeWire for, like, the 1700s. (laughs) Oops, did I accidentally, like sit here and spend like an hour copying out this sheet music you wouldn't steal a symphony (laughs) you wouldn't steal an orchestra (laughs) (laughs) all right so uh we talked about aaron burr a bit and his intense education for his children right yes we're all listening to you all know what i'm talking about right so Uh, so leopold's teaching method was actually somewhat similar with the kids so it, it though it did seem like a little less strict in the sense that he didn't have like literally every hour planned out, but he insisted on perfection from his children in sort of a similar way. But he also did go out of his way to try to keep the lessons like fun so that they were interested in doing it. He was very devoted to their musical training as well as their general education. Uh, he was very devoted to their musical training as well as their general education and his children excelled especially in music. His father went so far as to have him perform in public and took him and his sister on a tour of Europe when Wolfgang was six. Nice. I want to go on a tour of Europe. Right? Six? At six. At six, he was performing in front of people. Angie's face is, like, mortified right now. (laughs) So he described Wolfgang as, quote, the miracle which God let be born in Salzburg. No pressure. Jesus. I yeah, and, like, that's a lot for a six-year-old. Literally, right? And about his daughter, he said, what it all amounts to is this, that my little girl, although she is only 12 years old, is one of the most skillful players in Europe. So, okay. It's like, it gives me Dance Mom vibes, right? Yep, yeah, yep. top and tears for sure. <laughs> My little girl is the best performer in the country. She's going to make me so... I mean, she's going to make herself so much money one day. I gave him a half point for not saying she's pretty and good at this. (laughs) He cared about the music and seemingly very little else because that is what was making the money. Yeah. So he clearly had high praise for his kids, but also the general review of them essentially said the same thing. So it's not like it was inaccurate either. They were apparently both actually very, very good. The traveling conditions, however, were not. They were super rough and hard on the family's health. But Wolfgang and Maria Anna were able to meet, like, so many influential musicians and play as child prodigies for the courts of Munich, Paris, London, and nearly every other main musical center in Europe. 
Wow. They were playing royalty as children. Like, that's wild. I can't imagine. Like, what a start to your life, right? Just no pressure. Mm-hmm. No pressure. Don't ever get worse than you are right now at six years old. But I think like, you play Twinkle, 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 Little Star. Like, that's embarrassing. Sorry. You only yeah. played the recorder when you were three. Please. Like... What a shame. <laughs> I think, though, like, at that point in, like, those European countries and stuff, it was so common for kids to be, like, flaunt- like floated across the royalty because they're like well before they do like maybe go downhill we'll listen to this the really cute small children for now I yeah while well, they're still cute let's use this yeah. before they become broken and corrupted adults let's <laughs> use their musical talent well and then it would look good for the royalty as well to be like oh look like we're entertaining these small kids take photos <laughs> write it up in the press <laughs> don't try to oust us we're good no revolutions no. needed totally all right, so this is, like, only the beginning. Like, it just gets, like, more and more, like, wild from here. There's there's so much. So at age 11, age 11, let me reemphasize, because I start, like, glossing over these numbers at some point because he's young from, like, he does so much while he's still so young. But at age 11, Mozart composed his first opera, which was Apollo et Hyacinthus. Uh, <laughs> Say it with confidence. Hyacinthus. <laughs> Hyacinthus. I'm pretty sure that one's Latin, so if I butcher it, no one will know. <laughs> yes, I will. Uh, <laughs> there are so many. Okay, there's so many names from so many different languages that I'm I'm not going to be able to get all of these. So I'm so sorry, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> but you're stuck with me, so this is where we're at. My mother was very upset with you that you didn't know. No, the what angel of death <laughs> and how to pronounce his name. For which one? The angel of death. Oh. Oh my god, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ashley's mom. I, I'm doing my best, I promise. I still want to be your favorite, it's okay. I hope we can make amends. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can make amends. But... Right. <laughs> yeah, she was very, uh, very disappointed. Aw, I'm so sorry. That's my first formal apology. <laughs> uh, okay, so when he was 13, Maria Anna was 18, and now a marriageable age. So at this point, her musical career ended, as it wasn't socially acceptable for a woman of marriageable age to show her art publicly. Yeah. That's stupid. No, it makes sense for that time, though. Yeah. It does make sense for that time. I do agree that it's stupid. Uh, It's gross. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder if she would have made, like, a similar place in musical history if she had been allowed to continue. The article that I mentioned about the Smithsonian, or from the Smithsonian that was talking about her posed the same question and referenced things such as Wolfgang's interest in music beginning because of her interest in music because she was the older sibling. Mm -hmm. And so to some extent, like we have her to thank for all of his work. Yeah. For at least getting him started. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to like make sure to mention her as well. I didn't find much else along the way about like what else she did and what her ended let or where her life ended up going and stuff and i frankly didn't try to dig into it too much because i'd like to leave that open just in case there is more there it might be an interesting topic for the future i'm gonna guess but... married with children <laughs> yeah we'll roll a dice and see she's gonna die during childbirth or I, something just sad time and time tragic and we'll never know <laughs> It was an interesting time. There was a lot of political upheaval and, like, the new thoughts floating around. So, like, you know, like, it could have been different. I don't know. 
but I just thought it was like, yeah, she, she was an interesting and honorable mention. She'll show up another time in the script at least. So, okay. So while she stayed home with her mother at this point, he's 13, she's 18. I got those numbers right. Yeah. He's (laughs) three, he's 13. She's 18. So she's staying home with her mother and Wolfgang went with his father on a tour of Italy. After hearing Gregorio Allegri's uh, Miserie, oh, frick, this one's French. <laughs> <laughs> the struggle bus has left the stage. We, we went from Italian to French in like two words, and I'm confused. So oh, maybe that is Italian. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen, I'm sick. Don't judge me. Sue, uh, Angie, take over that word. Yeah. Gregorio Allegri's. There's two misery. Misery. It's spelled M-I-S-E-R-E-R-E. It's just, there's, it's too much. It's confusing. Miserere? Miserere. Miserere? In Rome. Anyway, so what was in Rome? <laughs> Where did you get French when he's in Rome? I don't know. It's definitely Italian. Because she's just um, <laughs> monolingus. <laughs> I am a boring monolingus. I'm sorry. So anyway, so anyway, he hears uh, this famous composer's famous opera, and he replicated the whole thing, writing it down by memory, the whole score with only a few minor errors, like an old timey bootleg. Bring that back because that's where I initially thought. Yeah, about it. I think it's Limewire. <laughs> oh, it's called But like, to remember the whole thing by memory, and then write it down, and like get it right. Thirteen. What the break? Who gave you this much talent? Yeah. He also wrote an opera during this trip and was working hard taking on commissions and writing two other operas as well. During the return route of this trip, he played in Rome and was knighted to the Order of the Golden Spur before he hit 20. <laughs> I think this was, this was before 17 even. Is he trying to be like the Taylor Swift of the 1700s? Like, what I mean, this is what I mean when I say he's a child star. He got famous, super, super crazy young, and then wouldn't stop writing, and then just kept going and kept making money, and just kind of kept succeeding until like he didn't live for super long. And spoilers for later, but you know. All right, so he gets knighted. Shortly after, the pair made a couple more trips into Italy. One for a commission of a serenata to be played at a royal wedding in Milan, and another for an opera for carnival time in Milan a year later. So he goes from playing a royal wedding to playing a carnival, though? Yes, but carnival time, it was a whole season, it was a huge event. Uh, it was not say. like a, <laughs> It's not just a random. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. like small hometown carnival. Yeah. This was not that. This was huge. It lasted for like months. Like it was like a 17. Uh, 71 to 1772, I think, oh, if, I'm, if I'm remembering my dates right. So it's basically um, like a World's Fair, but a yeah, carnival. Yeah, like that, uh, that kind of tier. Like, it was, like, big deal stuff, right? And he's, like, still a teenager. So this tour seems to have done what Wolfgang's father desired, but began a series of lateral career moves for Mozart. Literally, how do you, how do you top that? Like, you played for royalty as a teenager. How do you... Do more. How all do you of them. Back? All at once. You become royalty. <laughs> a special content, a concert for exclusively political leaders. So, when they returned from their final stay in Italy in 1773, Archbishop... Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Archbishop... Hieronymus... Oh, my God. Hieronymus von Colorado... 
<laughs> you just you, that's not a name you just punched your teeth <laughs> <here. laughs> sure it's just old it's just old and italian i'm like it's, it's very latin inspired okay it's a dead language for a reason i don't know how to say <laughs> any of it remember to <laughs> so sorry i'm so sorry to all and i don't know i don't think we have any listeners listeners in italy but we I'm do so sorry well i'm really sorry <laughs> <laughs> A special apology <laughs> to all of our European listeners. I know, I know, trust me, I'm painfully aware. I'm sorry. This is why I've tried not to have things that are going to have words that I can't say. I'm going to start, like, banning names if I just can't say it. I'm just like, this person, next. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start just calling everyone John Smith if I can't pronounce her name. Um, I'm so sorry. Uh, So anyway, the Archbishop now offered the now 17-year-old Wolfgang a job as an assistant concert master and a salary, which was a step up from exclusively doing commissions because it was more stable. Here, Mozart was able to write music in several different genres, though much of what he wrote for the Archbishop was sacred music with more specific parameters. Apparently, Archbishop von Colorado Uh, didn't approve of sacred music being lavish and had time restrictions that Mozart had to comply with, regardless of him disagreeing with it. Mozart was an opinionated guy and uh, wanted his voice to be heard, and the Archbishop did not appreciate that much, and we'll see that throughout their entire working relationship. Which was what, like six months? (laughs) Six months and then he's fired? Literally, he lasted for like two years. (laughs) Okay, that's a bit better. It's a bit better than six months, but like... That could have been his stable job forever, but he just couldn't do it. His music wasn't exclusively bound to these restrictions. He was still taking commissions and writing music outside of the position. Uh, But there was, like, a certain emperor that he wasn't allowed to write music for. And so it kind of, or there was a certain commission that he wasn't allowed to do because of who it was for. Because, like I said, this whole area that he's living in is all in political upheaval around this time. Borders are moving. People are disagreeing with each other. So if you're working for one person and someone on another side, like, wants music from you, it's just not going to happen, right? So, like, Mozart did not like this because that meant he could not make extra money. There's probably also, like, religious upheaval, too, at this time, isn't there? So, like, if you're working for the archbishop, the archbishop is going to have a say as to who you can and can't do commissions for based on their religious beliefs. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, religious upheaval as well. And in this specific area, there was a lot to do with uh, the separation of church and state. The archbishop was a political leader at this time. There was no separation, but more and more people started saying that there should be. So different politicians versus different religious leaders are going to have different opinions on it, depending on what benefits them more. And like, you know, it's just, it's a whole thing. It's a whole mess. And Mozart didn't like that it affected him. (laughs) is kind of but it's like you know fair fair enough <laughs> like this particular commission was uh he was good he was set to be paid like half of his salary for a year so like it was a lot of money Ooh. that he missed out on so like honestly valid but he like i said he stuck it out for a few years uh but felt that his that the work was too simple for his skill level and he wanted to move on to more challenging things Archbishop von Colorado uh, grew tired of his complaining and immaturity and didn't seem too sad to see him go. Oh, isn't he a teenager? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so he's he's still, like, he's, like, if anything, just hit 20 at this point. 
Because if he worked there for a couple of years and he yeah. retired on at 17, so he's like, like 19. Still a child. See, he's still a child. Like, yeah, but... he's still a child. He was a child that was thrown into fame at, a, like, at six. So. And don't forget what that else? at this time, you're kind of, like, as soon as you're kind of coming to that age, like, you have a certain amount of responsibility on your shoulders and how you're supposed to act. So you can't act yeah. like our surly teenagers and young adults nowadays. Exactly. Like, yeah, I feel like Mozart was a bit of a special situation, though, because his father, like, was constantly praising him in a way that was, like, kind of unusual. Like, I don't know that, like, like I talked about their education style, right? I don't know that mm. the same level of discipline that Aaron Burr applied was applied, in, to, applied to Mozart. Ex- like, perfection was expected, but he was also getting told that he was literally God's miracle and, like, mm. God's gift to humans, Right? Yeah. So, like, you're going to have a bit of an ego if you grow up with that yeah. around you constantly. So, like, societal expectations, like, for sure. But, like, him personally, I feel like it kind of makes sense that he turned out this way if you take all that into consideration, too. Oh, yeah. His dad also worked for the same archbishop, by the way. So, he was employed by the archbishop as well. And when Wolfgang left to go on tour again to pursue an advancement in his career, his father wasn't granted leave to join him. So, Wolfgang, for the first time, had to travel without him. And he brought his sister with him instead, Maria Anna. She returns, which kind of like, ouch, though, to have been a musician and then not be allowed to perform, but instead have to watch your little brother go out and do the things you'd never be allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, That'd be hard. That would be difficult. But she did go mm-hmm. along with it, so maybe she was fine with it. She probably was like, yes, a break from my children and my <laughs> husband. Get me out of here. I don't think she was married at this point. <laughs> Yes, scandal of it. Which is why I'm kind of thinking she might be an interesting character. So she was still composing at this point, but her compositions were lost to time. So we'll never know what her music sounds like. Oh no. Yeah, they they gone. They were not preserved. Aren't some lullabies by Mozart? Am I making that up? Is that Beethoven or something? Isn't it like definitely Beethoven, probably Mozart? I was gonna say like just any classical music can be considered a lullaby almost. Pretty much fair. No, that's a good point. Uh, lullaby Mozart for babies, like yeah, it's just kind of like, classical music is lullabies, kind of. That's kind of how it's treated, sort of. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's like you're probably right. I just couldn't tell you exactly which one. Yeah, it's all good. That actually perfectly fits the crossover of like my like career as well as my podcast. Mm. So like I feel like I should know, but I don't. So. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So on this excursion, uh, Wolfgang actually wasn't able to find a job and ended up having to pawn off some of his own things in order to continue traveling. So he's like a little bit of a has-been at this point at like 20, but he's still like really trying to make it work. Unfortunately, their mother also passed away while they were on this trip. His mother was still alive? Oh yeah, his mother was still alive. His parents are both still alive. Damn. <laughs> you mean you mean because she had seven kids that didn't survive? You're surprised her mother's like, still alive. We just talked about the dad the whole time. The dad was traveling with Mozart. The dad was doing this. I just oh, assumed yeah. like the mom died a while ago. No, no, no. no. The, mom, the mom was there. No, <laughs> so because... I just like stayed home. Like, okay, guys, we'll see you in six months. The mom, like, like, like I mean, caregiver, obviously. Yeah. But like, as far as like their musical career, she, she was there. She was kind of just there. She was not a musician. She wouldn't have stopped like their dad from like being this ambitious to kids because she was also like from a family of ambitious people so like it she it would have been nothing new to her but she was just like less 
common influence. I want to tread carefully here. Less of a direct influence mm -hmm. on his music. I'll put it that way. I was going to say, like, at this time, she would be the one being like, I'll have the house ready for you guys for when you come yeah. back. I just thought she was dead. No, she's not dead. <laughs> just left behind, I think. Like possibly brought along to mind the children like you know it's the 1700s <laughs> yeah and like dad would be i think as like a parental figure dad would be mm -hmm. more respected than mom as yeah, like true. your momager dadager kind of, kind of a thing yeah exactly exactly so while they were on this trip their mother passed away and in response wolfgang's father negotiated a stable position for him as a court organist back in his hometown one part to bring him home probably and in another part to actually get him to have a stable job because again he's flying by the seat of his pants he's broke he's penniless um dad doesn't want him back and angie got that reference angie got the reference mm -hmm. oh, that doesn't mean i want him any less okay <laughs> anyway moving on it is how okay. <laughs> it, yeah, good job Sue. um i got there i was just giving sue some time as i'm like sue come on <laughs> <laughs> the wheels were turning. They were just turning really slowly. <laughs> you could see it on his face. Yeah, so brought him home. Uh, he continued composing music for a good salary uh, for a couple of years before he got a summons from his old employer, Archbishop oh, von Kalterin, who invited him to play for the Austrian throne. Okay. This sounds like a pretty sweet gig, but they still didn't get along, though, and Wolfgang didn't appreciate that he was being treated as a servant made to live in servant quarters and wasn't allowed to take outside gigs that would have paid him very well. So, okay. I mean, I would have taken it. Right? But actually, I'm thinking that the gig that I mentioned earlier that paid him super well, I'm pretty sure this is where that actually happened. I think I got the timeline a little mixed up because I couldn't remember if I put that in my notes later or not. So, um, yeah, but... A gig somewhere he didn't get paid. It's, gig, it's definitely because of Archbishop. Archbishop Yvonne Colorado though so like eh, wrong time still the same guy so yeah like no matter uh, what this other gig did not happen yeah no matter like, where it, it fell in the timeline exactly the point is it didn't happen he lost out on a bunch of money because this guy was his boss and he was upset so they argued and he resigned which the Archbishop initially didn't accept but then uh, like did relent and like they kept arguing and he eventually did relent and had him removed from the premises yep that's all that I know about that sounds about <laughs> right courted him away pretty mm -hmm. much it was not on good terms they did not like each other they were upsetty spaghetti they <laughs> Spaghetti. They were big upsetty spaghetti. It was Rome after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Spending so many Italians this episode. I'm so sorry. Uh, Viewership dropped. <laughs> oh man, I'm so sorry. Um, so, so anyway, so Wolfgang went back to Vienna uh, in response to this and actually found work this time as a music teacher, writing and performing on the side. He lived with friends during this period and developed a close friendship with the Weber family, particularly one Miss Weber, who was a German musician. A lady. A lady. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-huh. But Wolfgang knew his father would disapprove of him getting married as it would be seen as an interruption in his career. And initially to his... I know, I know. Sue's like... <laughs> Sue's crumbling right now. So... Initially, in a letter to his father, Wolfgang denied rumors about plans for a wedding, 
but only a few months later sent another letter asking for his father's approval. <laughs> so basically it was a, no, there's no wedding yet. No, I have no interest in this woman. I don't love her at all. I'm not going to marry her. That'd be crazy. We're like just good friends. She's like a sister to me. <laughs> and then like Surprise. months later, he's like, you know what? Actually, I would like your blessing to marry her though because I'm kind of going to need that. So it's like, he he was covered. Like they they like his father wasn't in town. Like he was having a secret girlfriend. Essentially, he had a secret girlfriend at like what twenty twenty something <laughs> at this point. Twenty something. Yeah. Okay. So like approaching twenty. Nope. Early twenties. I don't have an exact. He was twenty six by the time that they got married. So he's probably twenty five or twenty six at this point, and he's got a secret girlfriend. So Solid. there's that. Solid. <laughs> so it's also like, you know he's got to have daddy's money somehow. Like, mm-hmm. he's not making any on his own. He needs his father's connections. Yeah, so his father did initially disapprove, like Wolfgang thought that he would, but he eventually came around. We don't know exactly how that conversation went, though. A popular... Because, like, we don't have, like, half of the letters in the conversation. A popular theory is that the letters back and forth between father and son were later destroyed by the lovely bride-to-be, and I cannot say that I really blame her. No. Especially not knowing that daddy didn't like you. (laughs) Yeah, like, it would not have been a fun time for her. Like, he did eventually come around. I think they were already married by the time that he actually, like, did accept that it was happening. So, great. But they were in love, and they were off to a good start and married in uh, August of 1782. Mozart would have been 26, and Constance would have been 20. So, like, all right. Not bad, especially for the 1700s. Not bad. It's pretty normal. <laughs> yeah, right? So, even for now, that's like, all right, okay. So, over the course of their marriage, they had six children, but, I'm sorry, Sue. Oh, no. I, like Wolfgang's <laughs> parents, only two survived <laughs> into adulthood. They were Carl Thomas and Franz Saber, which really emphasizes the point that Wolfgang has so many unnecessary names. His kids' names are <laughs> Carl Thomas. His sister is Maria Anna. That's it. <laughs> he was like, you know what? My name is too much. We got to give my kids like some normal ass names. <laughs> he chose to abbreviate his own name to Wolfgang Amadeus. So yeah. it's like, you might be right. Okay. I'm totally right. <laughs> All right. So shortly after the wedding and everything, um, starting his family, we see him compose some of his more iconic work. He met and became friends with uh, another composer named Joseph Hayden, who inspired six of his quartets and was once again experimenting with a style inspired by various new composers, namely Bach and Handel, around this time. This would happen a lot where he'd meet a composer, be super inspired by their work, or find out, or like be introduced to the music of the composer, be super inspired by their work, and then go off writing like too many pieces in like a genre similar to theirs or like a bunch of works inspired by them. So he's going through, like, another, like, Taylor Swift personal reinvention moment. This is his reputation era. (laughs) (laughs) No, that comes later. This is 1989 at this point. This is, like, happy times. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. So, uh, yeah. So, oh, God, I wrote a writer's note here that's going to make you cry laughing in a second. He wrote Die and... 
<laughs> this is German. I'm so, so sorry. I said my writer's note is literally just good luck pronouncing that Lamau because I thought Sue was going to be reading this. So rude. My Ensferung. That's my best guess. I think you're right. Ensferung? I'm not sure. I'm so sorry. Uh, I think that's as close as you're going to get. What a great idea. Viral. So... Uh, it got super popular, super, super fast, and his name spread like wildfire through Europe. He was performing everywhere he could, from apartment buildings to fancy restaurants to actual ballrooms, because classical concert halls were in high demand and low supply at the time. So he was doing whatever he could get his hands on, uh, and people were just eating it up. He and his family were finally well off. His son was going to an expensive boarding school. They had a fancy apartment in Vienna. Good things were happening. He joined the Freemason community in 1784. There's some conspiracy theories around the Freemasons, so I thought it'd be an interesting note to throw in. And that started influencing his music from this period as well. So he started to keep records of his compositions, in part because of the influence of the Freemason community, and that's a big reason why we still have them, and it possibly signifies an awareness of his place in musical history, which, again, if he was raised to believe that he was, like, God's gift to music, then it kind of makes sense. If he'd have that expectation for himself, I feel super stuffed You're all of a sudden really stuffed up, yeah. <laughs> I'm in part blaming allergies from, like, going to a different province, too. Um, <laughs> I blame your pollen. Yeah, so awareness of his place in musical history. Unfortunately, he also lived above his means by quite a bit. So just like when he was young and selling his things to continue traveling when he couldn't afford it, Wolfgang was aligning himself with aristocracy and had convinced himself that he needed to live like they did. So no matter how popular he got or how many shows he did or how much money he made, he never did get a handle on his lifestyle. He had all this money, he was super stable, and then he starts spending it all like an idiot. Like an Instagram influencer. Like an Instagram <laughs> influencer. <laughs> I'm following along. So he's just here to bring it back to the modern pop culture. Yeah. So that everyone can understand. Exactly. Yeah. So now he's a modern Instagram influencer. <laughs> so he needed a stable position again. He wasn't working at the last one anymore. And didn't like how he was being, you know, there was a whole thing, right? Uh, so yeah, needed a stable position again. Didn't appreciate the common style in the courts. It's just there's a couple of trends at the time they favored one he liked another that's basically what it boils down to uh his family began began accumulating debt and he often had to borrow from his friends to get by one of the most famous yeah. musicians in history terrible financial advice <laughs> so his friends who are also musicians by the way so it's not Ooh. like they're doing much better <laughs> well that makes it worse right <laughs> Uh, but he eventually gets a steady position again writing dance music for a small but steady income and the freedom to continue writing music outside of his position on the side as well. So he's happy there. He's doing all right. However, it wasn't long until something a bit more international happened that kind of shook his world. The Austro-Turkish War began in 1788. Remember, his homeland was in what used to be the Holy Roman Empire, we now call Austria, was really impacted by this. And unsurprisingly, we have fewer compositions from this era as uh, Mozart suffered from a depression kind of induced by this. Uh, this was kind of his reputation era. He wasn't like, forced to fight? He wasn't forced to fight. Um, he, he did not have to serve as a soldier in this. It was a political back and forth, to my understanding, as much as it was a literal war. And he was also uh, 
like in Italy at the time, right? So like, I, I'm not sure. I wonder if it was maybe harder to track down citizens of certain countries, like if they weren't currently living in said country. Yeah. It's like, what are they going to do? Call you? They can't. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm, I'm not sure if it was like, I mean, obviously it was very much a physical war as well, but like, I, I'm not sure if like, there was like a summons to serve or if it kind of went like that. I didn't dig into the war itself too, too much. I just, I know, yeah, it only went for a few years, like three years. Um, so I don't know if it got to the point where they like had to force a bunch of people into fighting, you know? Well, and it could be as well, like if he was, if he had enough of a name at that point that they were like, <laughs> Because I know, like, different countries, um, if you compete at the Olympics, if you're, like, an actual, like, athlete mm-hmm. on your way to the Olympics, you don't have to be, like, serve any time in the Army. But if you, yeah, you aren't, you have to serve, like, certain amount of years in the Army kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, I know that's a thing as well, so I'm not sure if it was the same thing. Conscripted, that was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, like, I know that's a thing as well. I don't know, yeah, I don't know in this specific instance, like, what was the case with it, because, like I said, I didn't really look into the Austro-Turkish War. I just know that it affected him, and it impacted him and his life and his music. There was another point, and then the brain turned off, and then I don't know what I was going to say about that. There was there was another point. Oh, at the time, uh, musicians and artists were also, like, kind of being touted around by the political higher-ups, as like shows of wealth and stuff as well so it's possible that he was protected because he was an artist um kind of in a similar way that you mentioned ashley there there were there was a lot of uh aristocracy throwing around like a bunch of grants and money and titles uh to people who were good at making art because it was kind of a show of wealth so i think i just i think that was super redundant but you yeah kind of <laughs> Yeah, it's just, they were doing a bunch of things, like, like yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, moving on. They were showing off that they had these musicians. They were showing off that they had fancy people doing fancy shit, and, like, that's like, yeah, so it's possible that he could have been protected just because of that, too. So, yeah, so this is approaching the end of Mozart's music, as well as his life. He did write, in this final era, an opera called Cosi Van Toots, in which he added a part for a specific opera singer named Adriana Ferras. He wrote this part because he very much did not like her. I don't know why, but the story goes that she had a tendency to throw her head back for high notes and drop her chin low for low notes. So he wrote her main piece to have a lot of quick switches between high notes and low notes, making her bob her head, quote, like a chicken. (laughs) Which is heady, and I love it. You're bored. <laughs> this is so. This is possibly his, um, like the next era of Taylor Swift's music yeah, coming up with her pettiness. <laughs> yeah, like I said, this is his reputation era. Uh, so, th- or this is how the story goes. Anyway, I couldn't find a source actually confirming this, but I think it's hilarious. It's one of the more like popularized modern stories or anecdotes about Mozart. So I wanted to throw it in here. Because it's funny. So, Makes sense. Um, <laughs> so he had a bit of a reprieve in between, but his health started declining, and Mozart started writing his final piece, Requiem, with the last of his time. He never got to finish it. Oh, it's one At of those. Age, mm-hmm. At age 35, uh, with his wife and his wife's sister watching over him, his illness ended his life. 
his official cause of death was a severe malaria fever and referred to as skin rash. Okay. Theories have circulated since then, of course, uh, but because, so because like posthumous uh, medicine is like, it's, it's, it's not advanced enough to be able to tell us how someone that far back died um, without more information. Uh, we don't like totally know and understand if they like diagnosed him correctly, kind of, right? So we've got one theory that it was really rheumatic fever, which is something that he dealt with for like a good chunk of his life. And another theory that he was poisoned by a competing musician. Ooh, damn. Now he did have a rivalry with this musician, uh, but it was a rumor that was spread at the time of his death and it was never taken seriously. So either it was very cleanly swept under the rug by the aristocrats that were funding him by the archbishop that doesn't like him. There we go. There's our theory. (laughs) Probably right. Let's take it to the Smithsonian. I fixed it. Hire me at the museum. I'm ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) But it was never really taken seriously. There's not a lot of evidence for it. Obviously, we have no way of knowing. And from the sounds of it, from quotes that we have about what his wife said about this other musician, it wasn't that deep, fam. They just were competing and, like, making music in the same place and taking, like, clients from each other, basically. It was Katy Perry and Taylor Swift. (laughs) You're right. You know what? You're right. It was Katy Perry. (laughs) What are we here for? We're not blaming Katy Perry or Taylor Swift for anything. This is a joke. For legal reasons. For legal reasons. We don't know anything. I know nothing. All the legal disclaimers. (laughs) So many. Yeah. So as much as he enjoyed playing at being an aristocrat, he wasn't one. Uh, And he was buried in a common unmarked grave with a small funeral, as was like normal for the time. Um, But many people attended his memorial services and concerts. So by the end of his life, Mozart had written in and excelled at pretty much every musical genre in his area at his time. Uh, he wrote more than 800 pieces. 800? 800? How? By the time he was 35. Ooh. Talk about writing like you're running out of time. No, yeah. <laughs> I will always bring that. That was also Hamilton. Yeah, got, got that one. Yeah. Got there. That one was fast. I will <laughs> always bring it up. Bring it back to Hamilton. Always. All right. So after story... His wife, Constance, bringing her back, she's still alive, uh, sold many of his unpublished manuscripts to finally pay off his remaining debt. I know. And to gain some financial stability, Sue's face popping so hard, uh, (laughs) for her surviving family. Between that and the effort that she put into organizing memorial concerts, which she was able to do, she was able to achieve that goal and make sure all of her children could attend private schools. So that's my girl. <laughs> after he died, she stepped up and she was like, finally, I've got this. Let me fix up. Let me gym. run this. <laughs> Let me run this. Let me get this. We're fixing everything. Apparently they did. Like I saw sources saying that they both had pretty lavish spending habits. So it's probably on her as much as it is on him. But like she cleaned up neatly. She got her act together after he passed away. So yeah, that's my takeaway. Mozart was a child star. His dad was a dance mom. He turns into Taylor Swift. He turns into Taylor Swift <laughs> and he's killed by Katy Perry. That's, that's how we got. <laughs> so yeah, Life and Times of Mozart. And there's probably so much more that I missed. I, like, a lot of my sources focus pretty exclusively on his career and it was kind of hard to figure out, like, his, like, personal life stuff and, like, whole pieces um, to kind of piece that together. Because obviously everyone only wants to talk about his music. And a lot of people were throwing around big fancy musical terms that I don't know what they mean. And I don't <laughs> care. So um, 
so yeah, it was an interesting one to look into. I thought it was going to be like, I keep doing this where I'm like, this should be a pretty straightforward script to write. This should be pretty quick and easy. Like this is a really big figure. We know everything about this guy. This should be easy. And then it's like, we only want to talk about his music and we don't care about his personal life. And I'm like, no, give me the tea. That's all I'm asking for. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to give it to you. But I need it. Only because you want it. They're not going to have it. <laughs> that checks out. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right. So, Ashley. Yes. Hi. None of us most of us, like two-thirds of us, <laughs> of the people in this room, don't know anything about Woodstock. So we know very little about Woodstock. None of us know anything about Woodstock. <laughs> that makes me happy, because then I have a lot more fun with this. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say about okay. Woodstock. I, 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 know that it's a, I know that it's a festival. I know that it's a music festival. That's it. That's all I know. Rock and roll. Awesome. Rock and roll. Nice. Okay. All right. So let's start in 1969, when the peace and love freedom movement was running strong through the whole world. 
August 15th, 1969 was the first day of a brand new music festival that had a set list filled with amazing artists. So it was the summer of 69? Oh my yeah. god. Yes, and that's literally how that song came. Like it's based really, off really of about Woodstock. I knew it wasn't based on 69. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I know best... I genuinely had someone in high school tell me that it was the summer of 69 because they had a lot of sex. Like, no. that's what they thought <laughs> the song was about. No. No, that's what they thought the song was about genuinely. And I didn't I know mean... any better. And I didn't have a better answer. So Okay. So the fest... I feel so validated. <laughs> Sorry, continue. The festival ran for three full days and ended mm-hmm. up being completely free. Wow. Free admission, free food, and free music. That's insane. So it, that would never happen today. No. Not even, well, like Coachella is probably the clo- next closest thing. But Coachella it's not is. expensive. And Coachella is easily like $500. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. So it wasn't supposed to be free to begin with. But the four young men who ran uh, Woodstock Ventures had some trouble getting the venue ready for the mass of people who were already waiting at the gates. Yes. <gasps> So, hang on, so it wasn't supposed to be free, so people just, like, came in and took things then? Or, like, how did that end up? I will get to there. <laughs> There's, okay, like, a sorry. whole paragraph on that part. So, I'm the four me. men were all under the age of 27 mm-hmm. and had some sort of tie with the music industry at the time. Mm. Artie Cornfield, uh, spelt K-O-R-N-F-I-E-L-D, was the youngest the vice younger- president at Capitol Record. Um, John Roberts and Joel Roseman were entrepreneurs from New York who were building a music studio in Manhattan. And Michael Lang, whose name you'll need to remember for later, had already been successful at running a music festival in 1968 in Miami. I'm sorry, I just have a question about Cornfield. Is that his legal name? I've never heard that as a last name before. One of the Try Guys' last names is Cornfield. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. that's legal. Yeah, that's his legal name. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, the first order of business was to find a venue for the festival. Originally, they'd planned to host it at the Howard Mills Industrial Park in Wall Kill, New York. Literally, okay. Wall Uh-oh. Kill is the name of the town. Cool. <laughs> Stick it to the band. <laughs> but the officials from the town got spooked at the idea of hosting a rock and roll music festival, so they oh, literally passed a law. Banning concerts in their city. Hold up, hang on, hang on, hang on. So a city called Walls Kill was scared of rock and roll. Yes. Their name is the most metal name I've ever heard. What do you mean? Yeah. It was like Footloose, but No Footloose but in real Kenny Loggins does not approve. Yeah. Can you imagine like no, we would we don't want this one film festival, so all concerts are banned. Like that's insane. <laughs> South by Southwest is like, no, we'd actually rather it's up a little further north. Yeah. <laughs> we brand new to North by Northwest. <laughs> so Woodstock Ventures searched and searched for a venue to no avail. Until one month before the festival was to start, when a dairy farmer offered to rent part of his land for the event. No. Oh. The four men, basically backed into a corner, paid whatever the farmer wanted and jumped at the location, making Bethel, New York, the famous spot for three days of pure bliss. Oh, just a random farmer was like, hey, I'm in the field. But they're like rocking out next to like Jimi Hendrix and a cow. Yeah. 
but like <laughs> Bessie and Jimmy, they're on like the same page. Oh, <laughs> what the heck? That's hilarious. We're like those poor cows. Were they still there? Did they like hang out for the event? Like, those cows were like, we're making milkshakes tonight. <laughs> so, like, literally, like the farm was still a working farm as this music oh. festival was happening. It's still functioning? Are yeah. you serious? You were just working around them? They just wanted some hired hands. No. Oh my god, that'd be hilarious. I was just gonna say, what if the festival went, like, part of yours, like, got milk! <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, genuinely, like, what if, like, did they, like, pitch in or did they make it worse? Like, oh, they 100% made it worse. Well, yeah. But, You'll like, find out in a, in a little bit. Oh god, I'm skipping to the end of the page again, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so basically, like, when most people think of, like, Woodstock, they just think of yeah. it as, like, this beautiful event. Right. Or so Woodstock Ventures would like you to think. Yeah. <laughs> um, once Credence Clearwater Revival signed on for the festival, so many big acts followed, festival goers were treated to three days of music from artists such as Santana, The Grateful Dead, the Who, Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, Shanana, and Jimi Hendrix. Were the first one? Yes. This has never been done before, and it's happening in some random ass farmer's yard. <laughs> and they got yeah. like, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, the Who. Yeah. Santana, are you in like how, like? How, what kind of fucking witchcraft was involved in this planning? It's, it's because cows. of, it's literally because Credence Clearwater Revival signed on. And so because they were like the first band to sign on and they were such a big band, everybody else was like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll go and do this. Yeah, they're doing it. Of course I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah, no one. Like, how? It's the random thing that's Right in their contract. It was in their contract. It had to have been in their contract. If it's run by some guy at Capitol oh. Records, had to have been of like, this is an event put on by Capitol. You're a part of. They Capitol. must have been real close buddies. Like I can't imagine. Yeah. Like All right. it must have been. So originally, they expected fifty thousand people to attend the festival over the three days. On this random farmer's yard. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he had a massive acreage. By August 13th, however, at least that many people were camped out near the festival grounds, and over 100,000 tickets were pre-sold. Oh, my God. 100,000. Just wait. What the hell is their marketing team, and are they still around? Because, like, a girl could use a hand. <laughs> so, while the concert did become free... Tickets have been pre-sold as three-day passes for $18. Today's money, Damn. it would be $120. Or Damn. sold at the door when possible for $24, a.k.a. $160 today. How did that three days at a music concert with artists of that? That's still a damn good deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the time that the festival started, it is estimated that one million people tried to get Ooh. into the venue. Highways and other ro roads were so backed up with cars trying to get there that many people just abandoned their cars to hike the rest of the way. Half a million people made it into the venue. It's an apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> the, the poor cows are probably thinking they were right. I'm like, what the hell is happening? How, how, how is the farm still functional with that many people? Like, the farmer, it's that moment of like, 
He knew. He's a scum. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. That's so many people. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a look at the world during the late 1960s in order to get an idea of those who went to the festival. Um, so it was deep into the Vietnam conflict by 1969, and so yeah, many right. younger people were opposed. North America right. was in the middle of civil unrest with this, um, like all the civil rights movements of the time. So it right. ended up being an escape where everyone could get together for some good music and share their hopes of a more peaceful future where wars and non-equality would be a thing of the past. So Even though... Fact about that. Yeah. Because this, this is where then Jimi Hendrix, he like premieres that Star Spangled Banner. It's in the movie yeah. Cars by Pete like, I don't know notes to it but like it's the star spangled banner on the electric guitar and it's a protest to the vietnam war yeah i knew this i knew this was a question i got around to how did you know it from cars though i don't (laughs) listen don't ask questions just accept the fact (laughs) um so even though the festival itself had a lot of issues the overall vibe that many came out of it was with like one of harmony Mm. that makes sense like and it's a bunch of hippies. <laughs> well, it's a bunch of hippies, but also if you consider like the genre, like it's it's all rock, but like Santana has a very different sound from the so, Who. Yeah. So like it's interesting that it's like all these like very different like kind of musical styles all united under the overarching genre of rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like coming together and like kind of forced like standing forced to stand shoulder to shoulder literally <laughs> and like that's just that's you put all these very different people together in one place but they're all here for a common goal and that's just to celebrate music that's like it's kind of beautiful it's yeah. kind of beautiful yeah, yeah but it's also kind of chaotic as hell and like when i was listening because um while i was doing my notes i was listening to like the music that was like live from woodstock and stuff and right. the sound of the 1969 version of rock and roll is so different than the sound that we think of now. So it yeah. was a much more calmer rock and roll sound, which yeah, is very sense. important to note for later on. For, yeah, for, for, quite, know. for quite a bit of it. Yeah. Okay, before I move on, I want to look at some of the issues that Woodstock 1969 um, had by looking at some of the key numbers for it. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that everybody can guess what issues arose when we look at these numbers. Yeah. So what exactly was the max of, like, occupancy of that? There was, it was 1969. I'm like, there's no max occupancy, there like honey. people will come here. Okay. First of all, there were only 600 porta-potties on the site. That means that there was one toilet for every 833 people in attendance. Whoa! He said earlier there was a hundred thousand people that showed up. Yeah. Well, no, like so you had half a million people end up inside the event. Half a million people, hundred thousand that were waiting outside. Six they planned, they planned for fifty thousand, right? Yeah. I got my numbers right, like straight yeah. in my yeah. head still. Yeah. So, like, well, they had planned for fifty thousand, but they had pre-sold a hundred thousand tickets. So you would have thought they'd be like, okay, who has porta potties? We need them. <laughs> please, please tell me that this is why we have like a maximum amount of tickets that are allowed oh, to be sold at events now, right? Like this is yeah. why. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, okay, so there were two deaths during the festival. I'm s- two deaths. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's like one million people all crammed together. Half a million. A half, half a million, but still. If you've got a half a million people in one place, someone's going to get injured or die. Like, that's just like the, the ratio is not in your favor. Like, no. There's going to be something. So, one was a drug overdose. Which was actually kind of surprising to me when we look at how many drugs were being consumed on site and the fact that 80 people were arrested for the usage of harder drugs like LSD and heroin, that only one drug overdose happened. Yeah, that's fair, actually. That's kind of surprising to me. The other death was much more tragic as one of the attendees had set up their sleeping bag under a tractor... And the oh. owner didn't see them when they started it up and accidentally crushed the 17-year-old concert goer. Nice. That's awful. Oh, man, the guilt that you would feel for mm. is just tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, this is why I was asking, like, this is this is a functioning farm? Like, yes. with all these people trying to do his work while the concert is going. just trying to make his job and also make a little side money, you know? like A little side money. A little turned out to be a lot more than he expected, I'm sure. But, well, and you'd think that they would have had, like, some sort of a rule, like, you can't set up your sleeping stuff near the tractors that are going to be moving. I'm going to refer you back to the last comment that you just made about how everyone was using LSD and fucking heroin. Like, no, no rules were going to matter. Like, That's true. It was a lawless country. <laughs> So, as I said before, like, we had, like, all of the traffic issues. So, the first act of the festival ended up being um, Richie Havens, because the original starting act ended up getting caught in the traffic of people attempting to get there and never made it. There were so many people coming in that the person who was actually performing couldn't get there? Yes. That's insane. Holy shit. So this is why we put a cap on how many tickets are allowed. <laughs> this is why they like pull up in indescript vehicles and like days in advance. <laughs> well, actually, I think it's still only like hours. Yeah, yeah. But, like, oh man, that's yeah, it's brutal. What if you came <laughs> to Woodstock for that band and then they just like never show up because <laughs> you and five hundred other people were in shock. Yeah. Um, the last act, Jimi Hendrix. Unfortunately, ended up playing extremely late compared to his original start time because they had some issues with timing, um, making the festival technically end early Monday morning, and many festival attendees end up missing his act. Because they had to leave. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. That would have been so disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. If I waited through all of that for Hendrix. All weekend for Hendrix. With only 600 porta potties for Hendrix. Gotta go to the office. Yeah, pretty much. One of the greatest pieces of misinformation is that there are multiple children born at the festival. Two babies were born during the festival, but one was born in hospital as the mother was airlifted, and the other was born in the middle of the massive traffic jam. So, oh, like, yeah. technically yeah. not at the festival, but, like... Did that van... On the way board? to the festival, yes. <laughs> they were. There were definitely multiple children made yeah. at the festival, though. Yeah, oh, yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, okay. the van that was also stuck in traffic, did they, were, like, they, were they around to, like, help with the pregnancy? Or was the I guess so. <laughs> but also, like, what woman in her right mind at nine months pregnant about to give birth any day now is, like, you know what, I'm just really set the tone let's go for a rock and roll festival 
You know what? Maybe she was trying to induce it, in which case it worked. <laughs> okay. But one of the <laughs> one of the stories that I find like super interesting though is that the guitarist for the Grateful Dead almost got killed on stage. What? What happened? It was horrible weather for most of the festival, and during their set, the guitarist got the shock of his life, literally, from his guitar and microphone. No. So this is a quote from him. Um, There was a great big blue spark about the size of a baseball, and I got lifted off my feet and sent back eight or ten feet to my amplifier. Oh, that's terrifying. I would cry, and... (laughs) I'd be like, I'm out. Thank you for having me. Goodbye. I would take a bow and I would walk away. Be like, you know what? That is some sort of greater power. Being like, you know what? Career change. I don't know how I would feel seeing that as like a concert goer, let alone the guy experiencing. You'd be like, dude, the dude just jumped backwards. No, a blue spark the size of a baseball. I think you would know that. I think there's actually like video of it. Like you can actually see video of it happening. Yo. Oh my goodness. Part of me wants to post it to the Instagram, but part of me is like, no, that's too dark. We can't traumatize the audience. Traumatize the people. Okay, so while there's so much more that we could go into about Woodstock 69, I need to move on to get closer to the one that a lot of people currently have on their minds. But first, we're going to make a pit, small pit stop in 1994 to Woodstock 94. Okay, makes sense. Checks out. So our friend Michael Lang decided that to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Woodstock, he'd try another mu- music festival of a similar mm-hmm. size and lineup. Oh no. So still Woodstock. Yes. But not Woodstock. But not so but it is officially Woodstock? Yes. So artists okay. such as Collect Soul, Cheryl Crow, Aerosmith, Metallica, Nine Inch Nails, Salt and Peppa, Bob Dylan, <laughs> Green Day, Santana, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers were all performers at this rendition. Including they other ones the who were at the original Woodstock. Solid. Wow. Well, a very eclectic group of people too. Right? Right. Yeah, like yeah, Metallica again. Like yeah. not Aerosmith. the same sound. Aerosmith. Not the same sound, but like all all rock and roll. I guess some of that gets in a little bit more metal territory, but like yeah. um, but all technically rock and roll. So Woodstock ninety four was set up to be like a mini city housing a lot of people. They had over one thousand payphones set up, designer oh. ice cream, first aid crews on golf carts and a hefty price tag. The tickets... Okay, so, so uh, speaking of the hefty price tag, so, like, Woodstock 69, real quick, you said that it turned out to be free, but there was a charge at the beginning, so how did it, like, end up being free? Um, basically, because there's so many people that showed up, and they didn't have, like, the ticketing properly figured out, so they're like, we'll just let them in, and we'll just feed them for free, like, we have too many people, we can't make this, we can't, we don't have the infrastructure for it. To actually charge people to just like just throw them food in. at them. And like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So they the tickets were sold at a hundred and thirty five dollars for the two day festival that ended up having a third day added later. There were one thousand sorry one hundred sixty four thousand tickets sold, but over three hundred fifty thousand people ended up on site as the festival goers broke in through the fences with banned items. Holy shit. 
That's nearly another half a million. That's insane. That's so many people. Picture of 1984. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just a sea of people. Can you, can you? Yeah, actually, maybe I'll find it later for the Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's so many people all crammed together. That's insane. Yeah. So many. Like, seriously, it's kind of reminding me of the more recent Travis Scott situation. Totally. It's where people were, like, crashing the fences, breaking in, standing shoulder, sh- shoulder to shoulder to the point of people actually getting crushed, people getting, this gen- like, genuinely very severely injured. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think a couple people even died, like... At Travis Scott? At Travis Scott, yeah. Nine, yeah. nine people. Nine people? I knew it was... And one of them was ten years old. years old. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, it, it just reminds me of that. It's, like... Okay, so we've always been doing this, and we still haven't figured this out. <laughs> yeah. So security became a major issue, like, fast. And well, yeah. three people ended up passing away on the festival grounds. Right. Um, I didn't see – I didn't do as much research into 94 because the next one is even worse. And then 5,000 people ended up being treated in the medical tents and 800 taken to the hospital. One concert goer in an article that I read on the CBC said that they wished they didn't spend money on their ticket as no one even bothered to look at it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my word. So they were just like, Woodstock's on, let's go. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. So while the music was great and people seemed to really enjoy the mud, the 94 attempt to recreate recreate Woodstock 69 was a disaster from the get-go. Which brings us to the insane attempt at the... 30th anniversary revival of Woodstock in 1999. So, so the first Woodstock was a complete mess, a chaotic disaster, and, like, a whole bunch of people, like, came and I'm sure had, like, a really great, like, forever memorable time. But, like, it was, like, a planning nightmare and could have, like, ended so much more catastrophically if just a few more things had gone wrong. And... So they decided to recreate it. It goes even worse. <laughs> and then they're like, you know what? This is a great idea. Let's do it again. Yes. Let's make an annual thing. Oh, my God. Okay. So many listeners might already know about this debacle, as two documentaries about this literal shit show have been recently released onto streaming platforms. The one that caught my eye being Trainwreck, uh, Woodstock 99 on Netflix. From what I've seen like in articles... Um, Trainwreck is the better of the two documentaries, according to people who actually attended the festival. Okay. After Woodstock 94, Michael Lang thought it'd be in his best interest to give it another go. This time, it would make money and not lose money. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) What a novel idea. Right? I... I'm I'm proud of him for getting there. <laughs> to do this, he had a massive wall with painted murals built around the massive abandoned army base that would hold the three day event. For a rock and roll festival, yes. this is not going well. This location was both a major problem and an asset for the event. The, the base held multiple airplane hangars that could be used for more events than just the two stages of music. One hangar was a designated rave hangar where famous DJs spun records and the attendees could party for as long as they wanted once the live music had ended for the night. So, hang on, so they only had two stages for the live music, though? They had two stages for the live music, which I think is actually still more stages than they had the previous ones. Um, and then they also had a 
24-7 rave hanger for people to go to. All the LSD. All the LSD. All the Molly. Every single. (laughs) Any party drug. You pick it. It's in that hanger. Oh, yeah. Um, So the issue was that the majority of the base outside was pure tarmac. Temperatures rose to over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, or for us Canadians, 38 degrees Celsius. In the mosh pits, it rose even higher. Well, and then you're crammed shoulder to shoulder with people. Mm-hmm. So, like, in a giant building, but in a building regardless. Well, in, in a, a building, building with no air, then, cure, air for, circulation, like, the outside, the is just a box. So, like, the, uh, there's, like, the outside of it. So, there's no, um, like, there was no, like, shelter outside of the buildings. So, like, we're yeah. actually going to see their live music for the majority of the day when the hot sun is beating down on Whoa. you. You have no shade. Oh, so everyone's cramming even more so into these hangers, but because everyone's cramming into these hangers, that's, like, extremely unsafe as far as, like... But even outside the hangers is going to be extremely unsafe because yeah. you're in the direct sun, shoulder-to-shoulder with other people who are so dehydrated it's just, and sweaty. It's just, every, it's just bad. It's just, it's just all bad. Yeah. As the cost of putting on the show rose during the preparations, Lang and his teams decided to outsource as much as they could. Oh, no. A wise decision, probably, unless they chose five people, in which case a dumb decision, probably. Yeah, security were literally random people that they found, where many only signed up so that they could take part in the festival without having to buy tickets, not to keep the actual festival attendees safe in any way, shape, or form. Bet your security. This is important. Like, we'll pay you $500 a day to be here, and you don't have to pay to come and see these great bands that we're going to have for you. You're being paid no. to see the bands. Essentially, by research security. Do your research, read the reviews, hire an actual security company, not some random teenager who should be working a minimum wage job. Yeah. <laughs> so those who were taking their job as security seriously felt like they were extremely outnumbered and didn't feel safe themselves. Duh. Then there was the issue of food. Any food or water for the festival was outsourced to independent vendors. On entrance to the festival, attendees had pretty much everything taken away from them, forcing them to pay outrageous prices for food and even fresh water. Honestly, like, that's still, like, I feel like that's still fairly common. Like, you're not allowed to bring multi-food water into events. But it's still a little shady. But also, when it's 38 degrees, if you're paying for water, that's messed up and also you're Mm -hmm. and also these people are probably drinking like we said they're doing drugs and in that kind of heat the alcohol is going to hit your head so much faster and if you can't drink water or eat food to balance it out like it's just everyone's intoxicated as fuck yeah um which is not a safe situation for that kind of heat yeah like they did have free water bottle filling stations on site but those Something. were quickly contaminated by the uncleaned porta potty city that started overflowing by the end of day one. Of course, of course. If one oh, wanted to buy a water right. bottle, it would cost them $4 on site. We might not oh, bat an eye with today's prices, but water bottles were less than a dollar in stores. And when we look at the inflation, that would be equivalent to $7 today. $7 for a water bottle. Yeah. That's like your Fiji water. <laughs> By day two and three, bottles of water were being raised to at least $10 or or $18 today. This was happening as thousands of people were being treated for heat exhaustion and heat strokes in the medical tents. 
Oh yeah, God. of course, because they can't afford an $18 bottle of water. <laughs> so funny demand, but, like, if you're evil, though. Yeah. That's insane. They... I wouldn't pay $18 for a cocktail. Like, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so day two of the festival was met with insanity. As people were waking up, the grounds <laughs> were a sea of litter that people were wading through to get from place to place. Oh. No. Um, there was even a point where one of the, uh, I can't remember which mm-hmm. band it was, but one of them started singing. I think they started doing like the Star Spangled Banner, like the Jimi Hendrix version, and, in, mm-hmm. and encouraging people to start throwing the litter onto the stage. So then the stage became oh. a sea of litter as well, because they, the crowd was being encouraged to just throw all of like the empty water bottles and stuff that were on the ground. Why? Because they were idiots. <laughs> yes, like we 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 get this. Remember, we talked about every single LSD being used. Like we get this. Yeah. <laughs> Out of frustration, some of the water stations were destroyed, causing major flooding right where the toilets were, which created lakes of mud and sewage. That oh. of course, people who are high on drugs and on alcohol were like swimming in. Ew. Oh, oh. I can't imagine a worse situation like that. It's like, how on earth? What the hell? Okay, so however, it wasn't only the conditions of the grounds that caused an issue for this rendition of Woodstock. The bands that they booked and the attendees themselves were not much help at all. Cheryl Crow returned on day one and was greeted with a very different Woodstock than even in 94. It was full of a frat party attitude, and most attendees were absolutely drunk by 11 a.m. on the first day, as the beer gardens were 24-7 service. 11 a.m. day one. Yeah. And everyone's so So, Cheryl Crow was verbally sexually harassed by a lot of the boys, men, whatever you can call them, in the crowd. To the point that when Jewel was brought in for her set midday of day three, she was warned about the crowd's attitude towards women on the stage. In the wow. Netflix documentary, she admitted that she had a really bad feeling about the festival from the moment she arrived, and that it just felt worse and worse the longer she was on stage. So she ended her set early and got straight onto her bus to leave the grounds. Good. Blame her. That's just like. So, this this, like change in attitude is in part to more some of the more hard rock bands that were earlier in the festival, such as Corn, Kid Rock, Rage Against the Machine, Limp Biscuit, and more. Many so because that kind of crowd, and then she's got a different kind of audience. Yeah, and they actually brought her in to be like a more calm, like and put her like on those dates. And like those times to be a, like to try to have her be like one of the more calming artists like, on stage to try to like calm the crowd down. Where I'm like, that's a lot to put on one woman. Yes, yeah. especially if you get them like that riled up, like immediately, like right off the bat, and then expect like one performance to calm them down. Like that one performance, that person's like they're they're either like they're not going to be successful at it, and they're just going to get hurt in the process. Like that's like mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's not how you do that. You have to have an in-between band first. Yeah. So many of these bands fed into and amped up the crowd's already intense vibe. 
On day two, the crowds were so amped up that they started to take things to the next level as they worked on destroying parts of the infrastructure, such as the sound towers. I'm not even surprised. Security guards were kept busy breaking up fights, saving crowd surfers from hitting the stage or the ground in front of the stage, and trying to watch each other's backs against the unruly crowd. There was a point where one of the performers literally hopped up onto one of the boards that the crowd had pulled from the sound towers so he could crowd surf as he continued to encourage their behavior with his song that was like about breaking things and stuff like that because you're so frustrated with life oh my word that's like okay so this is also 99 so it's all very like grunge like anti-government yeah stuff yeah this establishment that's the word yeah blanking on the word (laughs) so problems kept creeping up from every which way on the evening of um day two fat boy slim was the dj in the rave hangar and he felt in the insanity of the crowd as he was forced to stop his set midway through. Ooh. A stolen van was being driven slowly through the thousands of people crammed inside of the hangar. No! Security went to get it out as the crowd was told to make way for it or the show couldn't be restarted. So the crowd reacted by yelling insults at Fat Boy Slim and started throwing stuff at the stage. Yeah, they didn't care. They wanted the music and the party to continue. Okay, this is, this is like, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> like, the just the insane, like we know about like, like crowd mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, you're in a big crowd, your actions stop becoming your own at some point when you get swept up in what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. Like, this is like that, but also drugs and alcohol... And also, like, with, like, the biggest crowd that it could possibly be. Like, yeah. Probably lack of sleep. Lack, absolutely lack oh, yeah. of sleep. It's morning all night, and they're, like, staying awake for, like, at least 24 hours. Like, that's an extremely, like, that's just, like, a, ugh. Like, uh. Yeah. So what security found in the van was a driver who was extremely drunk Honestly. and a passed-out underage teenager with her clothing removed. The assaulter oh, was found in the van pulling his pants back on, but he ran off and disappeared into that massive crowd before anyone could take him into custody. The girl was oh. immediately sent to the hospital. Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> she is only one case of sexual assault that was reported, as at least four or five families all sued the event for their trauma. Good. Um, it is suspected, though, that there are many more cases of assault that went unreported, as a lot of women and men went through the festival naked. At least one artist had to stop partway through their set as they pleaded with the men in the crowd to not touch a woman's breast without permission. The festival oh. team, however, of course, even now to, to like today in this documentary that was filmed like last year, they claim that if a woman didn't want to be touched by all the men, then they shouldn't have been naked and showing off their bodies. Well, get at the rock festival, if there's any place to like fight against societal standards, that's where it's gonna happen. You kind of have to expect it. Like, and it's eight degrees. And it's thirty degrees. Where she has her top off. Like, it's hot. Oh my word. Like I like uh, like oh my god. Your clothing does not control what other people do, no. right? Like. 
every individual is in control of their own actions. Mm -hmm. Take responsibility for them. Oh my word. Like, geez, like I, yikes. So at the end of the festival, things went from horrifically bad to even worse. Wow! Literally, how? What have we? What topic have we not hit on yet? Oh, like, just wait. <laughs> was someone intentionally murdered? Now, like, <laughs> so the attendees were absolutely fed up with how they were being treated by the festival itself. Many what? started leaving early as they went home with trench mouth from the polluted water, which is yeah. literally like a World War One disease yeah. from friggin' trenches. Yeah. But this is happening in 1999 at a music festival. Gross. Um, or they went home absolutely broke as their money was greedily taken by the vendors. Yeah. Those who stayed I... behind were desperate to see the secret big ending that the festival promoters had been promising. Oh, when that ending came around, it sparked a major fit. Literally. Uh... Oh, a riot. That's what we were missing. I thought they were already there, but apparently it hadn't started yet. Nope. This is game. <laughs> Those working the festival all of a sudden got a call in their walkies to get to the stage immediately. These are people who also didn't know what the surprise was because, like, Michael Lang and, like, those, like, his, like, major inner circle for running this event hadn't told anyone. Listen, 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 listen. If there's anyone that you tell about every single detail at your event, it's the fucking security team. Are you freaking stupid? Mm. Hang on. You're going to get your answer to that question in this next (laughs) sentence. (laughs) Lang had gotten over 100,000 candles to hand out to the crowd. No! You did not um, you Okay, these people are literally already tearing down buildings and angry. Them into crowds. They're angry, they're sleep deprived, they're hot. You're they're giving them fire hungry. And you're giving them fire. You're giving them fire. Yeah. His reasoning was that he wanted to do a candlelight vigil against gun violence as the Columbine shooting was very fresh in everyone's minds. He wants keep it this is even worse. He wants the group of people that are groping people, sexually assaulting people, wrecking things to be like, oh, but also gun violence. It's not the crowd. <laughs> it's not it's not the time. Like it's, it's not, not the, time. the time. Like you would think by that point they'd be you know they'd be like, you know what? Different surprise. Different surprise. Maybe different surprise. Maybe anything but Maybe just like Jimi Hendrix does an encore. Like, ooh, send ooh, everyone ooh, oh, home. Oh, oh no, so hang on. They did have Jimi Hendrix come on at the very end. Oh my god. As a video recording of his 19, of his 69 Woodstock performance. Oh my god, actually? Yeah. This is the story that never ends. It just goes from bad to worse, to worse, to worse, to worse, to worse, to worse. Yeah. No bottom. Okay, so in theory, it was a great idea. But everybody who has been watching the crowd, including a lot of like the, I don't know, 
the lovely um, journalists and stuff who were all there. Who are getting fed a pile of lies by the people going, oh, this is a great event. Everything is going smoothly and everything. They all knew that this was not the crowd to hand literal flames to. But anyone who spoke up against it were told to shut up. Oh, my word. (laughs) I am gonna... Okay, Ashley, we've talked about time machines before. And, like, wanting to sit down, have a conversation with some of the people that we talk about, right? Yep. I... I I want I just want to talk, like I just want to talk. There may be some throwing of some hands, but I mostly I just, I just want to talk. Like I have questions and also potential violence in my just I I I don't I don't in, in I just I'm broken I am broken I I want I I want violence. Oh, I'm not even done yet. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly, a fire was started as the pissed-off guests created a massive bonfire with the infrastructure that they had been destroying for the past 24 hours at least. With the candles they passed out. They did give them the candles. Yeah. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers... The the Red Hot Chili Peppers were on stage at this point. Like, still. What kind of level of stupidity do you have to be to hand candles out to angry people? So, when the on-site fire department were called to take care of the fire, they refused because they felt extremely unsafe to go into that volatile crowd. The firefighters were afraid of the crowd. Yes. So they couldn't put out the bonfire. Correct. Honestly, it checks out. At this point, I'm not even surprised. I'm I'm like, like, yeah, makes sense. I would be too. Mm -hmm. Yep. So honestly, at this point, I'm like, you know what? Good for them for setting boundaries. Somebody <laughs> said no. Okay, so the Red Hot Chili Peppers were then asked, like they came off stage because they had finished, and they were asked to please help quell the crowd. So they decided to go wow. back on stage and sing a tribute to Jimi Hendrix, okay, okay, aka so his song called "Fire." Oh, I mean, that's kind of funny. <laughs> the it's crowd took this as a challenge, and more and more fires immediately started to pop up through the festival ground. I, okay, so I was, I was gonna say that, listen, listen. Isn't that, isn't that song the, like, we didn't start the fire? Isn't that the one? No, sweetie, that's not Jimi Hendrix. No. <laughs> I mean, that song would be appropriate, too. It would be appropriate, <laughs> but also, no. No, I was gonna say that, like, the event organizers can't create the event like this, stoke the flames like this, no pun intended. (laughs) Like, they can't, like, set up the situation, intentionally make it worse, and then tell the performer that they are responsible. The performer who isn't even the first performer, who is by far not the only performer, just one of the many, many, many performers, the, like, final performer, after all of this for days has been going on, tell this one performer that it's now their job to clean up the mess. That is, therapist, that yeah. is disgusting behavior. That is not the performer's job. At this point, the event organizers are the ones to blame, and they're the ones who should be cleaning up their own mess. This is... I this totally is get how that song got t- taken as a, as a oh, no. thing, though. Oh, it's the chorus of the song Fire by <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. Hey, let me stand next to your fire. Let me stand next to your fire. 
Whoa, let me stand, baby. Let me stand next to your fire. Let me stand. Let me stand next saying, to your fire. You're just saying fire. Yeah, baby. You're yeah. just saying fire over and over and over again to a bunch of high. Listen here, baby. Stop acting so crazy. <laughs> and it repeats the fire thing. Yeah. And literally like, yo, you're nuts. <laughs> I mean, and then they were just like, oh, yeah, fire. Let's make more fire. That's how <laughs> they took that. That Yeah. Something that is... Like... But of course, they got bored with the fires. So as one, this mass of people rampaged through the entire site, destroying as much as they could, including taking down the massive sound towers, like literally climbing up them, hanging cool. out on top of them as they're kind of like trying to like, as like a massive body, push them over. Yeah. When they got to the vendor tents... They took whatever they could get their hands on, including breaking open, like, the small city of ATMs to make it rain the money that they felt was owed to them. All while the people who were in charge of this event went and locked themselves into their office towers to barricade themselves in for safety. This is a rock and roll festival mutiny. (laughs) Yeah. This is a mutiny. This is... (laughs) What? By the next day, the grounds looked like a smoldering war zone. Like, literally, literally it looked like a war zone. It was organizer and performer versus crowd. That's it. It literally was. Like, that's, like, the only thing you're missing is the guns. All other forms of violence are there. Like, (laughs) pretty much. Oh, but let's hold a candle vigil for gun violence after people (laughs) fucking raping each other. Like, oh, God. Somehow, only... Three people died over the entire three days, but many were injured or extremely sick from, like, the chaos that was, like, this event. Yeah, I expected that. How did only three people die? I don't know, because I literally, like, while I was watching the documentary and I was watching these people where they're, like, sitting on top of these massive sound towers and, like, the towers are going down. I'm like, how is it that none of you are dead? I'm just thinking of the van that some drunk guy drove into a crowd. How did no one die from that alone? Well, he somehow drove it, like, slow enough, because I was also like, oh my god, like, how many people are going to be dead from that? Right? But, like, he drove it slow enough that nobody actually got injured by the van driving into the crowd. That's insane. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. And, like, what I just, like, like, everything that I gave to you guys is literally, like, just, like, the surface of how uh, there's so much more that we could be talking about with this one. Um, but yeah. Like every person in attendance is going to have their own anecdotal story about their version of Woodstock 99, Woodstock 94, Woodstock 69. Yeah. Like they're going to have things that like they saw happen that the journalists missed. Yeah. Like, well, and, like, the journalists, like, they actually had to, like, evacuate. Like, MTV was there. And, like, throughout the entire event, because MTV was considered, like, be, like, working for the man, they were feeling more and more unsafe as the event went on. And then when it was time, like, and then by the time, like, this stuff started to happen, they're like, we gotta get out of here because we are in danger for our lives. Because they're a corporation. Like, yeah, because they're on TV, which means yeah. they're controlled by the government. There was one journalist, though, like, in the Netflix documentary where he was, like, evacuating, and then he turned and saw, like, what was happening. He was like, no, I gotta get this, and ran into it in order to be, like, one of, like, the only journalists on site to get, like, actual, like, coverage of what was happening. Because this event was literally 
you could do pay on demand to watch this whole event. That guy has balls of steel. That is like Ooh. that's either rich or stupid, and I can't decide it's which one right now. Both. <laughs> okay, with my conclusion, you'll see how much balls of steel he literally had. Oh my god! So. How are we still not done? Like, okay, Ashley, I literally don't think any episode has broken me this quickly and this, like, effectively. Like, this, like, I... I this is why I, I really I, wanted I, to do this, because I knew this would break you. And I was like, I have to talk to her about this. I'm so sorry, I don't, like, because, okay, so... I don't know if we've met, if this is... If this, like, uh, behind-the-scenes comment has, like, shown up in a aired podcast episode not yet but Ashley and I sometimes when we record and more and more lately when we record we record over video call so we can see each other's faces when we talk so you guys like don't have the benefit um listeners at home don't have the benefit of like watching us express ourselves and our shocked faces or reactions and stuff you just hear it but Ashley and I usually are able to like see each other's faces and Ashley if you had seen me this entire time <laughs> I'm literally lying on the floor with my face in my hands trying to wrap my head around all this. <laughs> I'm just sitting here in absolute glee imagining your faces. <laughs> okay so for my conclusion here Lang never learned from his mistakes nor did he take any responsibility for the disaster. In 2019 they plan to do oh. another Woodstock for its 50th anniversary. <laughs> and it was canceled because everyone said, you're an idiot and this is a terrible plan and no one wants this to happen again. Right? Kind of. Right? That's kind what of. About to say. So it did have artists such as The Killers, Halsey, Miley Cyrus, Imagine Dragons, Jay-Z, and others who had previously done other Woodstock festivals all lined up. That is, okay, once again, the weirdest mix. Some of those are not rock and roll. Miley Cyrus in 2019 would have been rock and roll. Fair, but, like, Imagine Dragons is pop. Like, <laughs> yeah. They started as indie pop, They're and now they're pop. Like, they, they have some songs that lead a little to more rock, but they're, predominantly, they're pop. They're, mm-hmm, they're a pop yeah. group. Like, that's such, like, I... Uh, <laughs> So, thankfully, the festival was canceled as venues and artists kept dropping after the Fire Festival debacle in 2017 and other issues with the finances, like, with, like, the Woodstock company started to arise. So, okay, so let me get this straight. Woodstock 99 wasn't convincing enough, but Fire Festival, which <laughs> honestly kind of pales in comparison at this point, yeah. if we're being real... Fire festival happening recently was the thing that made them stop. Yeah. I are people <laughs> not, how do they keep getting these people to sign on? I don't understand. These are I huge don't know. big names. It's not like they need this. Like I have another question. Is this still happening in that farmer's field? <laughs> no, they had to change venues depending like like for each of the Woodstocks they had to change venues. Um, every time. yeah, but then like every venue kept canceling on the Woodstock Festival, but like apparently for most of the people, because what we all remember is mainly Woodstock 69 and that has such like a like rose colored glasses memory mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. So, so many people are like, oh, we want to be part of Woodstock because this is what we remember is 69. They don't yeah. remember like 94 and 99 the same way. 
Honestly, mm-hmm. like Woodstock '69 was already chaotic enough <laughs> that I wouldn't want to do it twice without like so like much better planning, much better organizing, full on security team firing Michael Lang. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's the only one who was doing it. Like he's like the only one. I think. I think he and I think a couple of the other guys did '94, and then it was only Michael Lang of like the original ones to do '99. And then only Michael Lang for the 2019 attempt. So everybody else learned their lesson. <laughs> yeah. But Michael Lang just was too stubborn to let go. Yeah. Genuinely willing to bet that, like, Woodstock 69 was the pinnacle of his career. And he literally didn't he know how to do it. He peaked in 69. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, so... Michael Lang did pass away in January of 2022, so hopefully we will not get another attempt at a Woodstock. Um, There's going to yeah. be a random ass person that's going to be like, you know what we need? We'll check back we in 2024. A Woodstock <laughs> tribute. That sounds like something. Oh. We need Woodstock 2024. I hope oh. not. <laughs> It'd be like the 65th anniversary of Woodstock. I'm like, how many, like, in, like, our recent memory, how many festivals have had major issues? All of them. No, (laughs) no, not all of them. Burning Man, we haven't seen, like, this kind of issues, and we haven't seen this kind of issues with the other ones. Like, that kind of just exemplifies the point. This can be done well. This can be done safely. Everyone can go to an event like this and have a good time. But if you're going to be this grandiose, I don't know how to say it nicely. Like, if you're going to be this much of an idiot when you're planning it, I really don't know what you expect. Like, it's not going to be safe. No one's going to have a good time. Everyone's going to be angry or hurt or traumatized or literally dead. Like, there's there's no way that it's going to end well if you're not going to put in the work and put in the effort and make it a good time, you know, like it can be done well, but you have to do it right. Like you well, can't just throw something together and hope for the best. That's not how humans work. What's sad is that yeah. um, a lot of the people who went to like even 99 where they're like, yeah, like, we were kind of traumatized by this, but we would totally go do it again. What the fuck is and wrong like, with you? What is wrong with you? Like, I no. <laughs> Seriously? Why? But like why? Brain, my brain just cannot compute. <laughs> I, okay, listen, listen. If if you want, if you want to listen some, to some like really good artists and get high for a weekend, literally just stay the fuck home. Like <laughs> turn on your Spotify, <laughs> turn on Spotify <laughs> playlist. Have one or two friends. Get some alcohol. Whatever else you're into, I don't care. It's your own house. Do your thing. I don't. Care. <laughs> Just don't hurt other people, though. Like, DIY your own one stuff. <laughs> would probably be better. Like, I, I'm dying. I'm dead. Like, I, I, my, my mostly healthy brain is like not wrapping around this anymore. <laughs> well, lucky for you, I am now finished with all my fun facts about Woodstock. No offense, but oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm glad that we've run out of story to tell. Yes. No, no, there's more than we could tell, but I'm not going to. <laughs> For your sanity. <laughs> I think I did enough damage. I had no idea. I had no idea. I knew about the mud. I knew about some of the artists. I didn't know about the extreme everything about I it. I knew about it. I... I thought it was like late 60s early 70s whatever i was close 
and like I knew it was just like a, a rock it's, festival yeah. and like you know rock and roll in like the late 60s or the 70s you can make assumptions about the kind of crowd right like that's that's all I knew I thought it was just like a chill thing like <laughs> no no it was like okay this next level chaos like it's so much it's so much it makes like Mozart seem like so basic. Right? How do we get Mozart to this? <laughs> like Mozart was like, yeah, he was a child prodigy. <laughs> like, I was saying, he was a child. He was a child prodigy. His dad was a dance mom. He was Taylor. He was Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Like misogyny and fire. <laughs> I. My brain hurts. My brain hurts. <laughs> See, like, when I said, like, you, you were like, I don't know, I said I wanted to do Mozart, and you were like, well, Woodstock is music-related. I was like, cool, sounds like a vibe, sure. <laughs> Old music, modern music, put them together, why not? And, uh, this is going to be your longest episode. This is not the same vibe. I thought this was going to be a short episode. I was going to be like, this is simple, this is to the point. Like, I what happened. I happened. <laughs> I couldn't sleep and I watched this documentary and I'm like, holy fuck, I gotta talk about this. Oh and actually said bet. <laughs> I'm glad you got the longer half of the post. <laughs> oh man. Word. I like genuinely I thought like it was gonna be like a, a like the same vibe, right? Like genuinely i had no idea it was gonna go this insane i thought it was just to be like chill lighthearted. like i didn't think it was gonna go there oh man sorry but not sorry just like yeah. my queen no don't be sorry that was a ride that was like i i feel like i'm sweating i feel exhausted like i was there like <laughs> i want to sleep for them do you think they ever caught up on the sleep that's somebody's face right now like, that's somebody's parent being That's like, a good point. That drunk guy's gone and lived his life. He's probably either someone's boss or he's in jail. Like, <laughs> like oh, man. <laughs> like, those people went on to procreate. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it like that, stresses me out. <laughs> How do you think they tell that story to their kids? <laughs> Timmy, when I was 17, you know, I went to this concert called Woodstock. When your mom and I were just dating, we waited through shit together. Oh, I'm sorry. You said that your concert was rough because it was too loud? Oh, sweetie. Let me tell you about 99. <laughs> My word. You got rained out of your camping trip? Oh, oh my heart. <laughs> what, oh. you mean you made it to 20 without committing arson? Wow. <laughs> oh, so you haven't ripped apart a soundstage? <laughs> so boring. I could never. Listen, sweetie, I want what's best for you, and I want you to live your life. That's all I'm saying. I feel like the funnest thing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, speaking well, of insanity, next week we're talking about Nellie Bly. Yes, yeah, going to a madhouse. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know how else to describe it. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, no, and we're literally, yeah, no, you're right. Next week, you're talking about Nellie Bly, who literally, like, went to an asylum to do her reporting and stuff. So that's going to be some wild stuff as well. I, it's going to be a very different kind of wild than Woodstock, I imagine. But we're, <laughs> we're going to see. And then we're also talking about uh, called called Synanon, which started as a um, teen rehabilitation camp. So super light subject. I feel like this was somehow a little bit of a break. Like, it was, <laughs> like, here, like, hear me out. Like, it was a lot, and it was overwhelming, and it's so much information, and it's all chaos, like, pure, utter chaos. But, like, it doesn't get as personal when you're talking about a crowd of a few million people. Maybe that's just me. Sue's making faces like it's that's just me. Drama response. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so insane. Like, it's, it's such a, like... It's such a like chaotic story. It's a clusterfuck. It's a clusterfuck, right? Like it's, it's such a clusterfuck that you don't have the time to dig into the like dig, like the um, individual stories and like unpack how that would have been emotionally for each mm. one, right? So like it's got a level of levity to it just because there's so much mm-hmm. that like you can't like unpack it any deeper than just this happened and it was absolute utter chaos. Yeah. Um, Whereas with, like, Nellie Bly, she's investigating, like, individual cases or with a group of teens where it's all just abuse. That's where it feels heavier because there's no lightning of this was, a, like, a dumb decision that resulted in this crazy happenstance. Someone trying to get people to stop committing arson by singing a song called Fire, for example. Like, it's, like, stuff like that <laughs> kind of... It's like it's it's like it lightens the mood because it's so bizarre. Yeah. So it's like so it's it's definitely gonna be a different tone. Like the events themselves, don't get me wrong, people died, people were raped. It's horrific. But it's just like it it it, it somehow feels different, like Yeah, no definitely I, I can see what you're going with this, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, just the absurdity of it makes it feel otherworldly, so it makes it easier to distance ourselves from Exactly. It. It's easier to dissociate from it, whereas with Nellie Bly, you're talking about, like, one individual person who's, like, literally reporting on the things that she's seeing and, mm-hmm. like, the things that she's personally experiencing. Like, you can't escape the more personal aspect of yeah. it, right? Yeah. Whereas, instead of reporting it as, this is an event that happened, it's like, here's someone's entire life story. Like, and it's, like, you, ha- you have to like get more personal with it you have to be vulnerable like that yeah so it's so like i said like in a weird sort of way this is kind of somehow like genuinely i thought woodstock was gonna be light i didn't think it was gonna go there um this was meant to be a break i feel like somehow it kind of was that we could be like a little bit more comedic with it but yeah next week's gonna get heavy again sorry not sorry Anyway, next week, Natalie Black, Synanon, we keep going into these darker subjects and then saying that we should use some more lighter stuff. And then the lighter stuff turns out to be dark anyway. So like, <laughs> That sounds like, about right, though. That's, like, on brand for us. It's very much becoming our brand. And we're going to have to do some soul searching to figure out if we're, like, good with that for the long term or if that's going to, like, crush <laughs> us eventually. Um, <laughs> we do kind of have that, though, like, scheduled up to, like, the end of November. This is true. Spooky season is happening in between, so it's going to be dark and it's going to be yeah. spooky for a while. Mm-hmm. We'll try to brighten it up around Christmas time. We'll see what we can do. Slightly. <laughs> we can only promise a slight brighter. I'm not making any promises. I'm just saying. all gray. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not making any promises. I'm just saying we'll see what we could do. Hopefully, uh, I'm not sick by the time we record our next episode and I'll sound like a normal human being again. I'm just glad that my voice didn't give out at any point during this because, yeah, I would have been upset if you can't hear me screaming about what stuff. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, no, like, I need Kat. I need to hear her voice about this. <laughs> so much. I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. It's just so Like, much. how do you wrap up this? I don't know. Ashley, you finish this up. You you did the second script. You get to end off. This is this is Take us home. I think we pretty much have taken ourselves home, but I guess we can end off by just saying thank you to Sue and Angie for hanging out with us for this chaos, because it made it a lot more fun for me, even. Well, thank you for letting us peanut gallery. <laughs> Our live studio audience. Yeah, it us sometimes. Have studio audience. <laughs> well, you, you guys are welcome back game. anytime. Oh, man, I gave you a choice. <laughs> And then I guess, yeah, on that note, um, we'll say thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the weird and chaotic side of history next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much, and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.